0: Welcome to Rooftop Church. This podcast is part of our Sunday sermon series, where each week we dive into the Word of God and the powerful message of Christ. God reminded me of a very important person. This person is someone that we know But oftentimes, I think we forget, and oftentimes, I think we forget the importance of this person in our lives, especially as followers of Christ. In actuality, this person is more than just important. This person is vital. Or in other words, this person is necessary for us to live a kingdom-driven life and to make an impact in this world. And you may already have guessed it, but this person is none other than the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. In our passage today, it's actually the last recorded words that Jesus speaks to his disciples before he ascends up to heaven to be at the right hand of the Father. And in his last words to his disciples, he tells them of the need they have for the Holy Spirit in order for them to accomplish the mission which he will be giving them. In church, I believe that the Lord is wanting to remind you, is wanting to remind me, is wanting to remind us of the need that we have of the Holy Spirit, if we are to go out and accomplish the theme and the vision of our church, if we are to go out to to live a kingdom-driven life and making an impact in this world. So today, let's look at the last words that Jesus speaks to His disciples in our passage today. So starting off, you know, our passage opens up in verses 1 and 2 saying this. It says, The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. The author of the book of Acts is Luke, and we find in Scripture that Luke is a physician, and he's also a missionary partner to Apostle Paul during Apostle Paul's uh, missionary journeys. And Luke is referring here to the first account to the gospel of Luke. When you have the time, go go to the end of Luke, chapter 24, read the ending verses of Luke, and you'll see how very similar the ending verses of Luke is to the opening verses of the book of Acts. You'll read that how Luke ends the gospel of Luke is how he actually begins the book of Acts. We also read that Luke is writing to a gentleman by the name of Theophilus. If you read Luke chapter 1, he's writing to the same person. He writes to the most excellent Theophilus. And as R- Luke is writing this, Luke tells Theophilus that in the first account or in the gospel of Luke, he was writing about everything that Jesus began to do and teach here on earth until the day that he was taken up, until the day he was ascended back up to heaven, after giving his final orders and instructions to his disciples and the apostles. You know, there's one thing to note here, church, and it's this. If the first account, the gospel of Luke, is about everything that Jesus began to do and teach, then what is this second account, the book of Acts, all about? What is he writing about? And in the book of Acts, what Luke is writing about now is the Continuing work and the ministry of Jesus Christ in and through the apostles and the early church. Jesus will be going up, he will be ascending into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father, but his work, his ministry, and his redemptive mission will continue here on earth through the apostles and the early church. So again, the Gospel of Luke is about everything, be, everything that Jesus began to do and teach here on earth, while the book of Acts is the continuing work of Jesus Christ through the apostles and the early church. You know, what's exciting about this is this church, that, that Jesus who continued his work and ministry through the apostles and the first century church, he's continuing to work and minister through us, the the 21st century church. Jesus is wanting to use you. He's wanting to use me. He's wanting to use us as the body of Christ to continue His work in ministry in this world. Church, is that not exciting, right? You know, as we continue to read in verse 3, it says this. It says, to these, to the apostles... He, Jesus Christ, also presented Himself alive after His suffering, His suffering being about His death and and, and resurrection, um, by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. It says here in verse 3 that over a period of 40 days, That Jesus presents himself alive after his death and resurrection to his apostles by many convincing proofs. And we read and we know of the written accounts in Scripture in regards to this. In Luke 24, if you read chapter 24 of Luke, you will see Jesus revealing himself or presenting himself alive to two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And if you read towards the latter half of that same chapter in Luke 24, he presents himself alive to the 11 other disciples as well as those that are with them. Right? It's pretty funny. You read it. Jesus shows out of nowhere. They're probably in a room. And he goes, hey, peace be with you. Right? And it says that they thought that he was a ghost. Also in June, uh, not June, John chapter 20, we see Jesus presenting himself alive to Thomas who doubted Jesus' resurrection at first. And he presents himself to Thomas and he says, Thomas, look, see, touch my nail-pierced hands and look at the side where I was pierced. And at that moment, Thomas is finally, you know, realizing that Jesus is alive, that he resurrected from the dead. The next chapter, John 21, we see Jesus presenting himself alive to Apostle Peter when he restores Peter back into his calling. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Apostle Paul writes that Jesus presented himself alive or he appeared to over 500 of his followers after his death and and resurrection but why is it so significant to mention that Jesus presented himself alive to his followers and to hundreds of people? Why is it significant that Luke even includes this? Well, one, without the resurrection of Christ's church, their faith, as well as ours, would be worthless and hopeless. You see, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 14, And 17, it says this, Apostle Paul writes, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith is also vain. And in verse 17, he writes, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. You see, the whole Christian faith is based upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Jesus remained dead, that means that their faith as well as our faith would be worthless, hopeless, and futile. So the resurrection of Christ validates our faith in the resurrected Christ. Secondly... As we will see later, the apostles would be called by Jesus to testify about him, to testify about the risen Lord, right? To test about, testify about who he is, what he's done, and what he said. If Christ did not rise from the dead, if Christ remained dead, there will be nothing to testify about, And there will be no reason for the disciples to commit their lives or even to risk their lives in testifying about Jesus Christ. So again, Jesus being resurrected, presenting himself alive is significant because one, it validates their faith as well as ours in the risen Christ. Secondly, it also validates the worth in committing their lives and even risking their lives in testifying about Jesus Christ. In verse 3, we also read that during the period of 40 days that Jesus speaks to his disciples of things concerning the kingdom of God. You see, in Scripture, without going into too many details because this, this is a sermon in itself, the kingdom of God can be seen as both a present reality but also a future hope. But in today's passage, I believe that Jesus was speaking to his disciples about the future hope of the kingdom of God that is yet to come. And I base this thought um, on the question that the disciples asked Jesus in verse 6. This is what it says. It says, so when they, the apostles, had come together, they were asking him, they were asking Jesus, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom of Israel? You see, the kingdom of God here is in reference to the eschatological consummation of the kingdom of God. Eschatology is simply meaning the last days of the final days, and consummation simply meaning the perfection or the com- completion, right? So the kingdom of God that is yet to come is as reference to Jesus' future establishing his kingdom here on earth where evil, sin, suffering, sickness, and death will be done away with, and where He will make all things new. In this kingdom, God will rule and reign over all of creation with His people. He will also be dwelling among His people, and there will be perfect peace, justice, and righteousness." A passage that we may be familiar with, you know, talks about this in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 5. It says this. Then I saw, right, the Apostle John, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. This is definitely something for you and I as followers of Christ to look forward to. But church, one thing to keep in mind as we, again, as followers of Christ, look forward to this future hope of the kingdom of God being consummated is that the kingdom of God being consummated would be inaugurated by the great white throne judgment. You see, in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, right, Revelation 20 being right before Revelation 21, the verses I just read, this is what it states, It says, and I saw, the apostle John saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were open, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. And check verse 15 out. And it says, and anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Anyone who has not repented of their sins and put their faith in Christ, anyone whose name is not written in the last book of life, would be judged and thrown into the lake of fire. And the lake of fire being what? Being hell and being there for eternity. Now, having in mind both the future hope of the kingdom of God being consummated, but also keeping in mind of the judgment that's awaiting those who have not put their faith in Christ, it gives reason for what Jesus is about to command his disciples. In verses 4 and 5, it says this. And it says, gathering them together... He Jesus commanded them, he commanded his apostles to not leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, You heard from you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. After having revealed himself alive, To the apostles and over hundreds of followers, after having spoken to his disciples concerning of things regarding the kingdom of God, Jesus commands them to not leave Jerusalem, but to wait until they are baptized with the Holy Spirit first. Now, this is pure speculation, but I can imagine, right, that disciples who have spent 40 days or a period of 40 days with Jesus, right, seeing him alive and and hearing from him as he's teaching them and sharing them about the kingdom of God, of them being pumped and motivated, right, to go into Jerusalem and into the surrounding areas to proclaim about the risen Christ, It's like they were at a conference for 40 days, and the guest speaker was no other than Jesus Christ, the one who just died but resurrected in three days, right? He's speaking at all the sessions. After this conference ends, they're just inspired, they're pumped up, and they're motivated to go out into the world and to do what Jesus has called them to do. Maybe you can relate with this. I, I know that I definitely can, right? I, we spend days at the retreat or we spend days at the conference, right? We hear messages given by, you know, our guest speaker, and we experience God in such a powerful and a personal way that after it all ends, we're pumped up. We're pumped up to live for Jesus. We're pumped up to proclaim the truth, right? We're pumped up to, to go and live for him and to continue the work that he has called us to do but here jesus tells his disciples hey wait wait in jerusalem wait until you are baptized with the holy spirit he's telling them hey don't go off running thinking that you can do this on your own because now you have some passion now that you're you're somewhat inspired and motivated Rather, Jesus was telling his disciples that they needed the Holy Spirit, that they needed to be baptized with the Holy Spirit to accomplish the mission that he's about to give them. And church, I believe that the baptism with the Holy Spirit that Jesus is talking about here is more than just about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, Let me give you some scripture references regarding the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, he says, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? Ephesians 1:13 it says in him in Christ you also after listening to the message of truth the gospel of your salvation having also believed you were sealed in him with the holy spirit of promise I'll give you one more Acts chapter 2 verse 38 this is you know apostle Peter preaching He says, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, church, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit happens when we repent of our sins and we put our faith in Jesus Christ. At that moment, the Holy Spirit will come inside of us, live inside of us and dwell in each of us. But the reason why I believe the baptism with the Holy Spirit here is more than just about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, is because what happens when the disciples are baptized with the Holy Spirit. And we read about this. We read about what would happen when they are baptized with the Holy Spirit in verse 8. This is Jesus speaking. He says this. He says, but you will receive Power. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. It says that they will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them, when they're baptized with the Holy Spirit, or as Acts chapter 2, verse 4 records on that very day it happens, it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Here we read that it's not in reference to regeneration or salvation. Rather, it's in reference to the disciples being in empowered by the Holy Spirit, by being filled with the Holy Spirit. So again, I believe Jesus is referring more to the filling of the Holy Spirit rather than the indwelling of the Holy Spirit here. And in verse 8, we read that Jesus commands his disciples to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But Jesus also tells them that it's a necessity for them to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, for them to accomplish the mission that God has given to them. And church, if you read the book of Acts, You will see how God has used the disciples and the early church who are filled and empowered with the Holy Spirit impact their world. When you read the book of Acts, we read about thousands of people, thousands of people repenting of their sins, being baptized, and being saved. We read about the church growing and the kingdom of God expanding. We read about people being delivered and people being miraculously healed. We read about people's lives being changed and being transformed. We read about Christ and the kingdom of God being proclaimed and being preached. God is literally turning the world upside down through the apostles and the early church that have been empowered and filled with the Holy Spirit. It's quite amazing. It's it's powerful. You know, each time I read through the book of Acts, I'm praying to God. I'm saying, God, let it be so with us today as well, Lord. Let it be the same with us today, God. As the Holy Spirit was a necessity to the disciples in the early church to accomplish the mission that Jesus has given, which is to be his witnesses, we also see the important role that the Holy Spirit plays in the life of Jesus Christ during his earthly ministry. First, at Jesus' baptism, we read and we see that the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus. Luke 3, 21 to 22, it says this. Now, when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized by John the Baptist, and while he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. Church, now, I don't think the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus Christ at this moment so that later on, artists and painters and people can draw a beautiful picture of this scene. Rather, I believe that the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus at this moment to show the important role that the Holy Spirit will play in Jesus' life during his earthly ministry. If you continue to read in Luke, after the Holy, Descent, the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus at his baptism, Luke 4, verse 1, it says this, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan where he was baptized and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness, Then after he you know faces Satan in the wilderness, that temptation time, it says, and when Jesus begins his earthly ministry, we read in Luke chapter 4, verse 14, it says, And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through all the surrounding district. Let me give you one more. In Luke 4:18. Jesus' first words as he's about to begin his earthly ministry, he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed church, if the Holy Spirit was a necessity to the disciples and the early church, and if the Holy Spirit played an important role in the life of Jesus Christ during his earthly ministry, how vital, how important is it for you and me to be filled and empowered with the Holy Spirit if we are to accomplish the mission and vision that God has given us, which is to live a kingdom-driven life and to make a kingdom impact in this world. Because without it, it's going to be impossible, church. It's going to be impossible. How important, how vital is it? Church, I would say it's absolutely imperative. It's absolutely imperative for you and me to be... (laughs) Filled and to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And I believe Jesus is reminding us today that it's absolutely necessary for us to be filled and for us to be empowered by the Holy Spirit in order for us to live a kingdom driven life and make a kingdom impact in this world for the glory of God and the expansion of His kingdom. In church, just as a simple way for us to remember, you know what the main point of today's sermon is, let me give you two phrases. One is this: We need God to do the work of God. We need God to do the work of God." Let me give you another phrase: Be filled and be empowered." If you're sitting next to somebody near you, can you just tell them, "Hey, man? or hey, woman, right? We need God to do the work of God and tell each other, be filled and be empowered, right? Maybe if you're like, hey, Pete, tab I don't have anybody near me. Hey, you got the whole chat box. I think there's a little over 20 people viewing it. Type it in. And say, hey, we need God to do the work of God. Be filled and be empowered. I don't know about you, but I don't want our church to be just full of plans and programs. But I pray that our church would rather be full of the Holy Spirit's power and His presence. Amen, church. Because without it, it's going to be impossible for us to fulfill the vision that God has given to us. We need to be filled, church. We need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, and, and, and to be filled with the Holy Spirit simply means to be under the influence and control of the Spirit. If you read Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, I believe it is, Apostle Paul says, you need to be filled and you need to continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. And church, if we want to be church that is spirit-filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit, you know what that means? It means that the members, you and me, those who make up this church, we need to be filled and we need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. You know, in closing, I would like to share with you something that I saw while studying and preparing you know, this message Um, That I've never seen before. And what I saw this time around in this passage was how much God really cares and how much God really loves people. How much it matters to Him that souls are being saved. You might be saying, hey, Pete Tab, we didn't read anywhere in verses 1 through 8 in Acts chapter 1 that God cares and He loves. And you're absolutely right. But for some reason, as I was prepping and I was studying this passage, I was reminded of John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that He sent His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. And for some reason, I just connected, you know, John three sixteen, with when Acts chapter 1, the Father loved the world for God to love the world that he sent his one and only son into the world to die on the cross for our sins so that we can be redeemed. Now that Jesus, right, has gone up into heaven sitting at the right hand of the Father, we read in Scripture that now the Father and the Son sends the Holy Spirit to the church so that we can be empowered to continue the work that Jesus began while he was here on earth. He sends the Holy Spirit to us to empower us so we can be his witnesses, so we can preach and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God, and to live it out in our lives. Church, God sent us the Holy Spirit so he can fill us and empower us so we can reach those whose names are not yet written in the land's book of life, to save those who are not looking forward to the consummation of God's kingdom here on earth, but those whose souls are actually awaiting judgment to be thrown into the lake of fire for eternity. God cares about those in your Jerusalem, those in my my Judea and Samaria and to all those in our world. He cares about our loved ones. He cares about our family members, our friends, our co-workers, our bosses, those in our neighborhood, in our community, those in our county, those in our state, those in our nation, those around the whole world. He cares and he loves each soul. He cares enough again to send the Holy Spirit to empower the church so that we can go and be a witness for Jesus Christ, and that we can make a kingdom impact in this world so that people's lives will be changed and transformed both now and eternally, amen, church, so that those names and more names will be written in the land's book of life, and there will be more who look forward again to the consummation of the kingdom of God here on earth. Church, God wants to use you. He wants to use me. He wants to use us, again, to be His witnesses, to live a kingdom-driven life, to make a kingdom impact in this world. But it is absolutely imperative for you and I to be filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Again, as I close, we need God to do the work of God. And we do the work of God because as Scripture says, His grace, His love compels us because His love for those souls that are yet to be saved compels us. Amen, church? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word that you have spoken to us today. God, you have given us a vision for this year, and you have given us a vision for the church. You're calling us to live a kingdom-driven life, and you're calling us to make an impact in this world both now and eternally, God. And you have reminded us today that it's absolutely imperative for us to be filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit, for us to be under the influence and control of the Holy Spirit if we want to go out and accomplish the vision that you have given us. So, Father, we pray, fill us, empower us like never before, stir our hearts for passion for souls, God that you will move us, not to be couch potatoes, not to be those who just sit down and just hope for the best, but that you would cause us to go, that you will cause us to move, that you will cause us to act and to be the witnesses of Jesus Christ, living a kingdom-driven life and making an impact for your glory and the expansion of your kingdom. So we pray, God, fill us and empower us for we need you to do your work. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.